good afternoon. You're listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of the Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us today as he opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. We're reading again Matthew chapter 6 and from the verse number 9. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Bad theology in the church brings about some very profound consequences. Biblical repentance must, in its essence, be understood as arising from a heart that is conscious of the guilt of sin, conscious that sin is rebellion against God. Understanding what sin is then causes those who repent to turn from their sin in hatred of that sin. So repentance, it must involve the hatred of sin and grief for sin. And I mention this because many in modern evangelicalism, they delight in verse number 12 and the petition of verse number 12, the fifth of the Lord's Prayer, and forgive us our debts. They delight in that and the concept that God is freely willing to forgive our sins. But they're less inclined to take seriously the petition in verse 13. And lead us not into temptation. People often want their sins forgiven, but they haven't the hatred of sin to pray, lead us not into temptation. But the heart that enjoys God's forgiveness is a heart that will inevitably lead on to pray, lead me not into temptation. Such as the hatred for sin, there will be a desire to avoid sin at every cost. Now, like all of these petitions, there are, there are certain technical things that we must address and some difficulties in the text itself. The word temptation used in our New Testament is used in a couple of ways. It can refer to trials, it can refer to obstacles and difficulties, or it can refer to temptation to sin. And so we've got, to, we've got to think through this carefully, that we have a very accurate understanding of this petition, uh, really so that we'll pray it properly. I want to begin with, with the doctrine. I want to begin with some underlying doctrines and principles that, that will govern how we pray this petition. First of all, let's, let's turn together to James chapter 1. And the first doctrine is that God cannot tempt men to sin. James 1, verse 13, Let no man say, When he is tempted, I am tempted of God. Neither tempteth he any man. This is a difficult portion of Scripture. In some way, because you have in the verse number 12 the word temptation being used in the sense of enduring a trial. And those trials are diverse. There's a, a multitude of trials. However, 
Verse number 14 makes it clear that the temptation involved in verse 13 is a temptation that leads to sin. Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And so, it may well be that there is in our lives certain trials that make us particularly susceptible to temptation to sin. But in those occasions, whilst God is sovereign over every trial, God cannot be charged with tempting us and leading us into sin. The devil is revealed in the Word of God as the great tempter. You need to go no further than Genesis chapter 3 for that. But as a good God, theologians and the Bible very clearly asserts that God cannot be the author of sin. And so he cannot be the one to tempt the soul to sin. God does not entice us to break his law. Having said that, the second doctrine we should understand is that God in his sovereignty may test us and try us. There are many instances of this in the Word of God where God leads his people and permits his people to walk down paths that may be difficult. And in those difficult times, there may be temptation to sin. You think of Joseph in Egypt. Joseph was in Egypt by the very will of God. It's God who led Joseph into those trials, very deep trials, profoundly testing experiences. And in the midst of those trials, he was tempted by Potiphar's wife. And so in our times of trial under God's sovereignty, there may be unusual and unique experiences that would cause us to be tempted to sin. The disciples, they're in the garden by the express will of Christ. And as they're brought there by their shepherds, the Lord says to them to take heed lest they enter into temptation. And so the God who does not tempt us to sin is also the God who is sovereign over every trial, some, some of those trials which then themselves may lead us to temptation to sin. The third thing we should understand is that man is susceptible to temptation to sin. James 1.14 makes it clear, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. One of the, one of the marks of our fallen condition is that our sin is everybody else's fault. You, you get involved, well, one in parenting or two in evangelism, and you will not talk very far before you understand that people will always shift the blame to somebody else. And here, James makes it clear that man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust. Man's own desire for sin. And even, even though our hearts are changed in the rebirth, there is still a propensity within us to hear the devil's lies. And so one, God cannot tempt men to sin. Two, the Lord in his sovereignty may test us and try us. Three, men are susceptible to sin. Four, temptation to sin is not sin. The old hymn, yield not to temptation, for yielding is sin. There is understanding that though we may be tempted to sin, the temptation itself is not sinful. The problem is when we 
are drawn away by our own lust and enticed. The fifth thing is that it is sin to play with temptation. It is sinful to put ourselves in the path of temptation. So those are some of the biblical principles and ethical principles we have revealed for us in the Word of God. So having thought of that, let's, let's think about a definition then. So back to this prayer. How do we define what we're praying for here? With those things in mind, what do we learn? Well, this prayer is not a prayer that God would spare us any difficulty in life. There is a reason why I mentioned the principle that God is sovereign over our trials. We are not permitted to pray that God would not test and try our faith. It's not a prayer, Lord, do not lead me into trials. I want you to understand that, that that cannot be the meaning. For at times it is God's will that we find ourselves in trials. And sometimes, should I say even oftentimes, the times of trials are the best times. Christ draws alongside in special nearness and we find ourselves in the valley of the shadow of death. And so we are, we're not here praying that God would deliver us from every trial. And so I believe, uh, let me state it now, I believe that what we're praying for here, we are praying that God would not permit us to be overcome by temptation. So what's this prayer? Lead us not into temptation. It is a prayer that God would not permit us to be overcome by temptation. And that agrees. Uh, I want to show you four ways in which that agrees with the rest of the Word of God. So we're praying, lead us not into temptation. I'm telling you, it is a prayer that we would not be overcome in temptation. It agrees with Christ's warning of Matthew 26 and the verse number 41. I referred to this in my reference to the garden scene. And there the Lord says, watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The temptation is there. The temptation that they would reject the Savior, the temptation that they be weary in well-doing, and those things that are prevalent in the garden scene. But the Lord says, pray, watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. Temptation, it's like a room into which they can enter. And so we see temptation is not some vague thing in the Word of God, not simply a suggestion to sin, but sometimes temptation itself is used for the, the, the very act of entering into that sin. And so we can enter into temptation. And so it agrees with Christ's warning. It also agrees with the use of the word lead. Lead us not into temptation. Uh, please turn to Luke chapter 5. Uh, this word that's used, the word lead in Matthew chapter 6, is not, it's not used all that terribly often uh, in the New Testament, but it's used, it's used twice here in Luke chapter 5 regarding the, the man who brought a man taken with a palsy. And verse 18 says, And behold, men brought in a bed a man which was taken with a palsy, and they sought means to bring him in, 
and to lay him before him. And when they could not find by what way they might bring him in because of the multitude, they went upon the housetop and let him down through the tiling with his couch into the midst before Jesus. Understand the word lead is not used here in the, in the English version, but it's used twice in the original and it's translated with the word bring him in. They sought means to lead him into the house. And so we, we, we may think of leading a horse to water in that old uh, proverbial statement. And we lead the horse to the water. But here the word lead used in the, in the, Greek, trans- or the Greek New Testament is stronger than that. Not only leading the horse to the water, but dragging the horse into the water itself. And so it has that sense of, do not bring me into temptation. It's a sense of how the word is used. It also agrees with the second part of the petition. So we're, we're looking at this petition, lead us not into temptation. Um, we're seeing, well, Christ warns him, don't enter into temptation. The word lead has the idea of bring us into or bring us under the power of temptation. That's the sense of the word. But also the second part of the petition has that same sense. Look what it says. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The word evil there has the, the definite article, the, uh, attached to it. And so there are many who believe that likelihood the devil is in view here. The devil, who is the great tempter. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. The evil one who, in Luke chapter 22, is revealed by Christ to be the one who wants to destroy the disciples. Satan hath desired to sift you, that he might sift you, or to have you, that he might sift you as wheat. It is Satan's purpose to tempt the disciples into sin. And so the prayer of Matthew chapter 6 is that they be delivered from the power of the devil in tempting them to sin. And you think of 2 Peter chapter 2, the Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations. Deliver us from evil, the Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations, away from temptations, not in the temptations, but away from them. That's what the Lord does. Satan would bring us into them. The Lord delivers them, delivers us out of them. And that, of course, agrees with the, the will of God. Turn, please, to, to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And the verse number 13. And here, here we see that it is the will of God that we are taken out of temptation, not into it. Therefore hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. It's not my purpose to expound that text, and there are, there are a number of important things to, to think about in it. But for now, simply understand that it is the will of God that we are out of temptation, not that we are in temptation to sin. And therefore, understanding the Lord's Prayer to be a revelation of God's will, it makes sense that it is a prayer that the Lord would not bring us into the power of temptation, not bring us into the house, the room of temptation, but rather deliver us out of the power of the evil one who would tempt us to sin. 
That, I believe, is the best way to understand the petition. It is that we would pray that God would not permit us to be overcome by temptation. And so as we sort of pull things to a close tonight, having thought about the, the doctrines and then an attempt at definition, I want to think about some duties that therefore arise out of these things. And there are, there are five things I want to, to leave with you. Five things that I trust are, are practical. And I'm glad, uh, again, to see our young people here with us tonight. And uh, let, me, uh, let me, I trust, give you some directions that I believe will be helpful for you uh, in the rest of your lives. First of all, be vigilant. This petition is a reminder to us of the temptation of the devil that he would tempt us to fall into sin. And in this vigilance, I would chiefly remind you to be vigilant about doubting the Word of God. The Garden of Eden and the Garden of Gethsemane were spheres whereby the devil's purpose was to cause the people to doubt the Word of God regarding Christ. Christ has said, I must die. And the disciples are tempted to doubt Christ's words. The Lord, of course, had given his word in the Garden of Eden. And the Satan comes and tempts him, hath God said. And so, if we are to be vigilant regarding temptation, we shouldn't just think of the external sins, but understand that primarily the devil would delight if we succumb to the sin of unbelief. And so, being vigilant, lead us not into unbelief. Lead us not to succumb to the, to the devil's temptation that we would doubt the word of God. The devil is real. We have it in these portions of God's word. We must remember to put on the armor. But be especially watchful. Be especially vigilant in times of distress and difficulty. I think we've seen enough of a hinting in the Word of God that when we're under trial, under difficult circumstances, there is a particular tendency to doubt the Word of God, to doubt God then. And so, don't let your guard down. This petition, as part of the daily prayer life of a child of God, is a reminder to them to be continually vigilant to the devil's devices, that they would not succumb to his temptations, that they would not fall into the sin in particular of unbelief. But in the second place, be aware. Be aware of your personal inability to keep yourself from sin. In 1 Corinthians 10, the verse prior to the one in temptation, there is the warning, if any man thinks he stands, then take heed lest he falls. This is a prayer so that we would guard our hearts from self-reliance. It's a prayer that we would not presume that we are strong enough in ourselves to keep fighting the temptation to sin. This prayer indicates that we, we need the Lord we need the prayers of Christ. Satan desires to have you, but I have prayed for thee. That your faith feel not, that you won't succumb to unbelief, but rather that you'll be able to, to endure. We need 
to remember they were kept by the power of God, kept from sin by the power of God. Please understand, this is a petition that you don't simply allow to flow off your lips as easily as that and not remember what's involved here. It's a recognition that left to your own devices, we will fall into every temptation and every sin. And so we're praying here, in essence, for God's power to be our experience that, that we would not succumb to temptation. Thirdly, be honest. Be honest with yourself as to where you are prone to sin. Joseph had the tendency to youthful pride. Moses clearly had a problem with his temper. Samson had a fondness for the woman. We all have particular blind spots. Some, it may be bitterness. Some, it may be jealousy. Some, it may be gossip. Some, it may be lust. Yes, all the various, all the various sins. And it seems to be that there are particular sins that beset us, perhaps at particular times in our lives. And there's a, a, there's a tendency that Satan knows exactly our weakness and will lead us to temptation in our weakest areas. Well, that is, of course, good military strategy. You do not attack an army at the point of strength, but rather weakness. And so we must be honest with ourselves, examine our own lives, and see where those areas are whereby we continually fall foul of Satan's devices. And so be honest with yourself. And then fourthly, be careful to never place yourself in the way of temptation. We can't, of course, avoid every temptation. But there are things that we can do with a, a sense of self-distrust. You can't pray this prayer and yet trifle with temptation. There seems to be some in the professed church of Christ who are thrill-seekers when it comes to sin. They're like those in the physical realm who, who delight to bungee jump. They want to jump off the cliff just to see whether they'll uphold them one more time. And there's a tendency in some uh, in the professed church that they, they want to dally with sin and trifle with sin and, and have the adrenaline rush of, of just getting as close to sin as they can, almost to, to test the, the bungee cord of God's faithfulness to their souls. We're to flee. We're to flee from the appearance of evil. And so there are things that we must we must take account of. I knew a friend a number of years ago now who he used, to, he used to play soccer. He called it football though, but he used to play soccer and he had to stop playing soccer. Not because he got old and injured, but because every time he played soccer, the red mist came down. And he found himself getting in a rage and anger. And he found himself always losing his testimony on the soccer field. And so he, he says to me, I, I've just stopped playing. And I was tempted to say, well, can you not just control yourself? What's the big deal? Do you know what? He understood the importance of fleeing from the sin of anger. And he understood that every time he put a pair of soccer boots on, he was leading himself into the temptation for that sin. 
And so he understood to abstain from soccer was more important than continually falling into the sin of anger. And so there are many ways in which we must pluck out the right eye and cut off the hand so that we will not succumb to temptation. You, you can't pray this prayer, lead us not into temptation, and play with sin. You, you can't do that. It's just a matter of gross inconsistency. If you're tempted to steal by lying on your tax return, pay the money for a good accountant. If you're tempted to, to gossip, beware of spending time with the tail better. The less you hear, the less you're going to pass on. If you're tempted with your computer screen, take it out of your room and put it in a public place. If you're tempted with gluttony, let somebody else do the shopping for you. If you're tempted... If you're tempted with some particular female in your work and you think it's okay to have a platonic relationship, catch yourself on and stay clear. We are far, far, far too slack regarding guarding ourselves from the temptation that may lead into sin. You say, well, I wouldn't fall. And don't bother praying this prayer. If that's your heart right now, just, just omit this petition from your vocabulary. Of course, you know, I'm not suggesting you do that. The point is that we are all, all susceptible to falling into sin. Therefore, we must pray, lead us not into temptation. So be vigilant of the devil's devices. Be aware of your own personal inability. Be honest with yourself as to your own sin. Be careful to never place yourself in the way of temptation and be obedient to the example of Christ. Tempted like as we are yet without sin. And in his example we see one who shows us the pathway that we could follow to be vigilant in the context of temptation. And so when temptation comes, we must use the word in the spirit of prayer. And so we bring out the sword of the Spirit, and we use the word to govern our lives and not our feelings and our lusts that entice us away from God. And we use prayer. Gethsemane, the place of Christ's sorest temptation, was a place where he prays. The Christian life, again, is very simple. Read your Bible, pray every day. It's not complicated. We overcomplicate things. You read your Bible, you pray every day. And you keep that close walk with God, praying, lead us not into temptation. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170. That's 610-993-3170. 
or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We preach Christ crucified.